Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all. Not quite welcome to the jungle, but welcome to the show this uh, Thursday morning. And uh, we've got uh, quite a busy one too with uh, a real uh, cross-section, I think, of uh, sports to cover, including basketball first up with uh, Brooke Rusco. Uh, the first week, of course, of the sales NBL went uh, by last weekend. What do you think of that? And looking forward to uh, match-ups beginning with uh, another one tonight. Uh, just after 9.30, uh, we'll have a chat to uh, a racing harness racing expert, in particular, uh, Greg O'Connor because it is the race by Grins tomorrow night. We'll look at the barrier drawer and the ramifications of that and how he sees that race panning out. Uh, just for the, uh, I, I guess, for the punters uh, who are listening to us, uh, Greg's opinion will be uh, very, very valuable. Um, and um, particularly the start. Uh, a lot of talk about the start of this race, so how does he uh, map that one out? Uh, after 10 o'clock, uh, we'll have uh, Junior Polu Leo Lugaga, who is, uh, of course, former Manu Samoa Chiefs and Blues halfback. Uh, he's going to be talking to us uh, on the Moana Pacifica matchup tomorrow afternoon. Unusual, isn't it? 4.10 on a Friday. Uh, they are playing in Apia. The first time on home soil as such. Massive occasion. We've seen how much that means to Fiji Drua. Uh, what will it mean to Moana Pacifica? Can they register their first win against the Red side, who uh, even Coach Brad Thorne says he's battling with? Uh, the panel this morning uh, will be with Graham Beasley and Brad Lewis. Look forward to the issues there, including uh, this naming of the Black Ferns assistant coaches uh, without uh, a female in the group. That is quite interesting, isn't it, when you think about uh, where we're heading and uh, what uh, we're looking for and the number of head coaches in uh, Super Rugby or Picky who are women. Uh, that's quite interesting. Um, after uh, 11 o'clock, we'll talk to Guppy. Martin Guptill uh, back in the show. Of course, uh, he's been plying his trade having turned down or uh, refused this contract from New Zealand Cricket, is now flying alone, basically. So how has flying alone gone for Guppy? We'll have a stump by Smithy about 11.30, and before that we'll have also uh, a harness racing pick for the week as we look to get money for our charity, Women's Refuge. That's our show for today. Right, 
906, uh, let's get stuck into the sales NBL, uh, can we? Because uh, it's uh, reached uh, round two already. Uh, a lot of uh, basketball last weekend with some very interesting results. And to review that and look forward to what's happening this weekend, of course, one of the, our great friends of the show, Brock Rusco, who's a uh, uh, renowned uh, analyst, former uh, basketballer himself, but uh, presenter as well for Sky Sport and commentator and uh, keeping his eye on uh, all things basketball and there's a number of issues to talk about so uh, Brock good morning to you hey thanks again for joining us oh as always no good morning good morning hey uh, first round of the South NBL last weekend um, I'm a bit partisan here but the Bayhawks had a good start to the weekend what else did you notice yeah, they had a very, very good start to the weekend. Um, man, tough, tough way to go and, and win the first game. They had the first game of the season, and they were down maybe six to the Hawks with a couple of minutes to go, and I thought it was... Man, they kind of just got it done, had the three at the end to send it to overtime, and, and they got that win on the road, and then they went down to Wellington on Saturday night, and Jordan Natai, who was a big part of the Saints for, God, maybe the last 10 years, won four championships with him, uh, was the captain as well. He, he made the shift and went to the Hawks this year, and... He went back to Wellington and had 30 points, and, and they got a huge win on Saturday night. So, man, they've started the season as well as you can, too, was on the road. Great for Hawks Bay at the moment, just in terms of, you know, the flooding and everything that's going on. So, um, just, just to give them a little bit of life and put them in a, a good seat for the rest of the season, they, they showed out really well. Um, the other team that I liked, was some of the teams that I, I liked in the opening round was, was the Rams. I thought they had, you know, really good. Well, it's still a little bit shaky at the start, but you can expect that from every team in round one. Um, and this Fortada, they showed up with the imports that they have who have played a combined, God, like 25,000 games um, with Sarangi and Rob Lowe and Cam Glidden and Jared Weeks, and, and they got the job done, and they look really, really good. The only thing that will be, you know, a, a thorn in the side of the Fortada could be injuries, but if they say injuries free, you can say that about pretty much everything. Uh, man, I like how they look as well. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's look uh, also um, perhaps at um, the the squads, Brooke, if we can. Um, how close mm-hmm. are they to being fully fully settled? I mean, how far away will we have before we actually, uh, as players, sort of drift back into the comp? Yeah, that's a real tough one. Imports at the moment, some are overseas, some are still coming in, some have FIFA issues. I think most teams would be happy to say they're sitting around ninety percent. That'll be the metric. Um, for the majority of the teams, uh, huge, huge losses. Well, it's questionable at the moment, but um, Carl Admin is a point guard for the Wellington Saints, and their import, they both got injured in, in round one against the Hawks. So, I mean, if the Saints lose those guys, they're, they're down to 65, 70%. And anyone who's watched the NBL for the last, man, 25 years know that the Saints are always going to be there or thereabouts. So, if you can get the Saints that aren't at full strength, you get them in these early rounds and and then missing a couple of guys, it's going to be a dream way to play the Saints. Um, so I, I think the Saints are kind of the ones who are worried at the moment in terms of injury. Uh, everyone else still have a couple of people coming through, but majority of teams are looking at, at 90% right now, I would have thought. Okay. Um, surprised by poor performances last week? You were a little surprised at, at anyone underperforming last week or, or not? Uh, there was one one young guy who I, I had never heard about, and, and I loved the way he came out and played. He was Liam Chad. He was from Hawks, uh, sorry, from the Monolith Jets, and they didn't win the game, but he came out. He shot the ball really well. He was athletic. He played hard, and um, for for a lot of people, he kind of just got put on everyone's radar. I think he had 22 points, um, but it was more the way he played and the way he shot the ball. Everyone was just extremely impressed with him. 
to start round one. So if he can, you know, maintain any sort of consistency around what he put forward in game one, he's going to put his name on a lot of a lot of radars and. Who knows, it could be higher on sooner or later. But, um, yeah, I really like Liam Chad. There's, there's also Julio uh, Lissongiappe from the Southland Sharks. He's just extremely athletic. Can play with the ball, plays off the ball pretty well as well. His shots got a little bit better. So I think he has a big chance to have a bright future in this league. And he showed out what he can do in, in round one as well. But it was, it was really Liam Judd from the Monitor Jets. For me, he, he stepped up. And, and hopefully he can continue that because he looked really good in round one. How close do you reckon, you reckon um, Breakers head coach Modi Mayor looks at this competition? Yeah, fairly close, fairly close. Uh, I mean, his assistant coach is the coach of the Franklin Bulls, so he's got a, a direct line right there. And, you know, a lot of the boys, Dan Fotu and, and Isaac Davison, Jaden Bazan, who are all part of the Breakers uh, uniform this year, they're all playing with, with the, the Bulls. And I think he keeps it fairly close. I like Sam Timmons is in the league. You know, Cam Glidden and Rob Lowe are here now. Rup Tarangi's there. So people who are in the NBL, or the NBL, sorry, they're playing in this league, and then they can kind of be the the, the tone or, or they can um, they can set the scene for all these players around them to be like, okay, no, I can match it with the Rubens and the Robs. And I think maybe Modi's watching off that. Uh, he's also, you know, just signed Tom McDowell-White, so I think he's the happiest man in New Zealand at the moment just to be like, okay, I've got him on paper for a couple more years which is a huge signing for the Breakers. So um, I, I think he does watch it closely, but he would also have a fair idea of how he's got planned for next year and probably the next two, three years as well. Yeah, I'm going to get back to um, Will McDowell-White and that signing very shortly. Uh, I just want to have a look at a couple of games coming up this weekend, Brooke, if we can. First of all, tonight, of course, yeah. uh, round, two, round two begins with the Saints against the Bulls. Um, the, as you say, the Bulls, I thought the, they blew an opportunity against Hawks Bay Hawks last weekend, so they'll be looking to get back on track very, very quickly uh, against the Saints. Now, both of these teams, of course, lost to Hawks Bay. Yeah, they both did. Uh, interesting, the Hawks, um, they just came out and, and they got it They just got it done, and that's kind of all you really need to do in round one. I thought that Franklin Bulls team, uh, on paper, they have a lot of good names. They have they have a bunch of good names. It's can they find a way to gel together as a team? That that will be the I, I guess Achilles' heel. Just watching around one of their teams. So if they can come together and, and all be on the same page, and uh, really like the import man, he was fast, he was quick. If they can kind of work around him, Jaden Pizan got in foul trouble. So if those two in the backcourt can work together, they'll make it tough for the Saints. But like I said before, with the Saints, they're, they're questionable with Carl Adam tonight, and he's a point guard. He's I mean, he's played over 250 games, I think it is, in the AMBL. Uh, he, he's proven, you know, and, and he's just kind of what they need in, in terms of direction as a point guard early, you know, early stages of the season. The Saints really need him out there. So if, if they don't have him tonight, I think it'll be tough for the Saints to get up. You know, they're, they're at home, so it makes it a little bit easier. But with the backcourt that the, the, the Bulls have, uh, man, I think the Bulls can get this one done. A tough road trip for the Taranaki years. Uh, got to go to Event Finder Stadium uh, tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock uh, against uh, the Tuatara, who were um, OK, I, I think it's fair to say, down there in Nelson. 91-86 over the Giants. Yeah, OK is probably a good way that the coach Aaron Young would put it as well. They had gloves. They definitely had moments where they, they looked like they were strong. They were just a vet. That's what they are. They're a veteran team. They've been around the block. Nothing's really going to bluster them. I think they would have liked to close their game a lot, a lot better. Uh, Cam Glidden didn't really have a, a Cam Glidden game. If anyone's ever seen Cam Glidden, he can shoot the lights out of it. I think he made two threes. And 
he was wide open for maybe six that he missed. So I don't expect him to do that again. Um, but the likes of Ruben Sarangi and, and Rob Lowe, they came in and they really set the tone. Uh, I think Rob had 20 and 13 rebounds. Ruben had 25. And then Jared Weeks had nine points going into the third quarter and ended up on 20. So uh, it was kind of by committee. Um, they've got one more person coming in, Cruz, who's uh, been in America, and he's a full black as well. Uh, he's going to be a huge addition to them in the backcourt. But they don't have him for a couple more weeks, so it's, it's just they need to keep getting these wins. Uh, I'm sure the more they play together, the more they'll gel. I know a lot of those A and B or L boys came in really late into the off season, maybe trained for a week. So uh, you know they've got a couple of weeks under the under the hat now, and I think they'll they'll find a rhythm and, and they'll get into it. And I think the Tour Towers will be tough to beat on on Saturday night at home. And the Giants hosting the Franklin Bulls, who have a, a very busy weekend, uh, a double header on the road. Yeah, Giants just need to find their rhythm. Alex McNaught has been given the keys. He's been given the keys to that car, and he just needs to find his rhythm. Um, just get in complete control. It's tough when you're you know, 20, 21, and you're leading the pack like this. So you've got imports coming through. Last year, he learned a lot from Jared Weeks, who was his backcourt teammate. But this year, it's kind of him steering the ship. Uh, I really liked their, their other guard, the import guard. He got in foul trouble, and so did Alex McNaught in round one. But you know, the shots that he took were nice. So he needs to take more, be more aggressive. But um, it's going to be a tough call to, to beat that, that Bulls team, especially with the backcourt that they have. And if they can find a rhythm, like I said, if they can play as a team and a road trip can get you going, and and, and sometimes that's all you need. Um, who knows, man? Bulls can just turn around just like that and, and go 2-0 on the weekend. Otago uh, Nuggets uh, playing through champions just got up, just got up at home over the Manawatu Jets, 68-67. And they are playing uh, the Southern Derby this weekend, uh, and that's the last game on Sunday night. Yeah, they did just get up. And, and if you win by one or you win by 20, it doesn't matter. You know, you got the win. But I think they would have liked to do it a little bit nicer. They only scored 16 points. Last year, they filled it up, and they, they, they scored quickly. They had a point guard, Trey Boyd, who was just dynamic last year, and, man, he got the job done. So without him, you know, they're going to have to find other ways. Big Sammy Tillman is going to have to keep it going. But uh, for, for the Southland Sharks, Jeremy Kendall is down there, and he's just an absolute general. He hasn't been in the league for a couple of years. He's a little bit older. But, man, he can, he's a pilot out there. He just knows everything that's going on. He knows the direction that everything needs to be. So he had about 20, 24, 8, and 8. Uh, he just looked in complete control. He had all his young guys where they needed to be. So uh, I think it's going to be tough for them to slow down Jeremy Kendall. He's, he's looking great. He doesn't, the game plays at his pace. If Jeremy Kendall can have a Jeremy Kendall game, I think the Sharks might go to a nobody is there south of Derby, man. You, you never know until, until it's all over. Well, Brock, uh, you touched on it before, and this was um, something that was huge for the breakers going forward, um, re-signing Will McDowell-White. Um, you mentioned just how happy Modi Mayor would be uh, as uh, this is an end result. Uh, he was super impressive last year in their campaign. Just how how competitive was that signing process? I mean, did everyone want a piece of him? Oh, from what I've heard, yes, and because he's from Australia, I think pretty sure he's based in Sydney. Uh, there's a lot of calls going his way. I know the Perth Wildcats were going at him with a big number. Um, but what, what I heard was it, it just came down to Modi and the way that he, um, I guess, found a rhythm with Modi, what Modi put into him. Um, you know, just the control that he gave him. Um, it sounded like it was a Modi call and he just wanted to play under Modi for a little bit longer and, and took a bit of a pay cut and, and wanted to go one further with the Breakers. So for the Breakers and Breakers fans and the organisation, 
It's an amazing signing. It was the first point of call. It's the one thing that they needed to nail in this off-season. He's gone from strength to strength. And if he goes another level up as he, as he has the last two years, the break is going to be such a speed to, to go on and hopefully go seven minutes better than they did this year and go on and, and win the whole thing. But it's not just the offensive end, it's the defensive end, you know, systems. He's learning how to play with Isaiah in that backcourt. Maybe they try and get Barry Brown back again so they've got that rhythm as the three of them. But, yeah, the, the first point of call had to be go and get that man and um, great signing by the Breakers. I think they'll be very, very happy. And hopefully he, he continues to grow and the Breakers continue to grow. And who knows, next year they might just might just pull it off. Yesterday we saw uh, the start of the play-in tournament in the NBA. A couple of uh, interesting matchups there. The Hawks going to Miami and uh, overcoming them. Uh, and then the Lakers going to uh, overtime, big fourth quarter for them. Uh, Anthony Davis, for some reason, uh, fouling and with about oh, half a second to go to enable uh, three three shots to get the Timberwolves back into it. Um, but they were interesting. I love this concept of this play. And how, how do you rate it? Yeah, I do too. It, it's finally, like, as a basketball fan, as a basketball purist, it's like, okay, now you can settle in and, like, this is real basketball. They play so many games. Like they play 82 games in a year. You know, sometimes they're just kind of going through the motions. But now you, you see why they get paid all this money. And I love the plan for that reason. Uh, and yesterday was a great reason to have the plan as well. Went into overtime. Uh, LeBron went baseline and hit uh, Dennis Schroeder to hit a huge three. And you know, at that point, with a minute, oh, sorry, with a second to go, everyone kind of thought, okay, Lakers got this. They've, they've won this one. And then you're right, Anthony Davis Fowers and sends to the three, three for a line, and, and I guess the, the Kahunas, the make all three of them, in LA, packed out uh, crypto arena. Like, it was loud in there. I could hear it. It was loud in the head or three, but then the Lakers got it done. Uh, I think they want to avoid overtime as much as they can. <laughs> less minutes on LeBron's body, uh, less minutes on AD's body, but they got the job done. They, they go through the next round, and I see... <laughs> I think the Lakers can win it all. So... They're wow. going to the next round. I can, I can see them beating Memphis. I can see them beating Memphis. You know, Stephen Adams isn't there. They're missing one of the other bigs. I, I can just see them getting the job done against Memphis. And then they're in round two. And and then once you go up to round two, you know, you kind of got LeBron and AD. I'm like, oh, you can kind of, who knows, you can do this. So I just, just my, my, my spanner in there just to, you know, ruffle up some few feathers here and there. Uh, I just got the Lakers winning it all this year. Okay, well, that's interesting. We've, we've, we've record, we, hey, Brock Rusco, we've, we've recorded it. that. But we've recorded that by the by. That's uh, in our annals to bring back to you at some point. Okay, um, because uh, I cannot wait. <laughs> good on you, man. Uh, thanks for your uh, in-depth review of um, everything going on in basketball. Love it. Uh, love the chat. Uh, have a terrific love. day, man. Thank you. You too. Appreciate it. Is uh, Brooke Rusco there, character, but uh, man, does he know his basketball and uh, enthusiastic about it. Love it, absolutely love it. Coming up to 9.22 here on SENZ. Nine thirty-two here, and it's time to look at uh, 
I imagine uh, what a lot of people regard as the highlight of the harness racing calendar. Some may say it's cup week, but individually in terms of stakes, it happens tomorrow night at uh, 8.50pm our time. A lot of Australian interest in this race as well, folks, just by the by. It is the race by Grins at the Cambridge Harness Racing Circuit. And uh, it is for $1 million, $1 million, the second edition of the race by Grins. Last year, of course, won by uh, SENZ's horse in the race, and that, of course, was self-assured. Back in the race this year, what chance? Uh, let's uh, talk uh, about the tactics now, the barrier draws, etc. cetera, uh, with uh, our expert analyst, Greg O'Connor. Greg, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Uh, on the eve, of course, of what you've just described, uh, you know, a great race on the New Zealand racing calendar, only in its infancy, only the second running of it, but it created so much interest last year, and uh, the Australian element is a very important part of that, and having two horses here, and not only the two horses here being Triple Eight and Better Eclipse, but having... Chris Alford, a man who's driven nearly 8,000 winners, and Greg Sugars, the man they call the candy man who often delivers for the punters, uh, just, just adds so much more to what should be a great occasion. Oh, yeah, it's, it is. It's massive. It's the last race on the card, so you, you kept uh, strung out for quite some time, mate. Incidentally, $1,150,000 worth of stakes on, on offer at uh, Cambridge tomorrow night. Let's uh, look at this barrier draw for the race by Grins. Uh, and uh, inside... Uh, Tony Hurler, he driving no matter what for Mark and, and Ethan Purden. Now, uh, I've been reading a lot of texts coming into the show, leading, reading a little bit about the race, and people saying, uh, Greg, the start is absolutely crucial this time around. Yeah, absolutely it is, Smithy. It's over 2,200 metres. So the run to the first bend uh, with two laps to go, the 1,000-metre circuit at Cambridge, is a good couple of hundred metres. And, and these are the elite athletes in terms of the harness horse. So... They are very, very fast horses, some faster than others, others off the gate. What No Matter What has is a Group 1 Oaks against her own sex. So she, she's the only female in the race, and by virtue of that and the conditions of the race, she gets barrier one. Now, most people, Smithy, are expecting her to get crossed at the start. She does have enough gate speed to hold her position, though. So what New Zealand's greatest winning driver Tony Hurley, he decides to do in that first 100 metres is going to be crucial, probably not to her winning chances, because I think most people agree, and the bookies agree, that uh, you know a $40 chance from barrier one is unlikely to win a race like this. She could have a huge influence on those drawn outside it. Hmm. Including, uh, copy that, some people saying copy that, which effectively, uh, or driven by Blair Orange, of course, uh, will effectively come from a, almost a perfect barrier draw for uh, the Ray Green trained horse. Is, is that how you see it? Absolutely. He, he, Ray Green was on our box seat program last night and, and he said the only better barrier draw could have been two, but in saying that he'd take three any day of the week. So just for the people who are probably looking at the field going, why are you talking about Smithy's terror? Well, he's the emergency for the race and unless another mm. horse comes out, he removes himself uh, from the front row. So copy that ability off the gate is very good. He can be very fast. I spoke to Blair Orange about that yesterday. He, he thinks if he wants to just blast and lead, he could. However, I don't think that is the most likely scenario, Smithy. I see him coming off the gate, holding his position, and I reckon out of the first bend, so the top of the back straight the first time, is when he'll get the lead. Because drawn to his inside is Old Town Road, 
and Zachary Butcher and his father David are the two best drivers of Cambridge Raceway. There's no doubt about that at all. He will be looking to get across no matter what at the start, Old Town Road, and the most likely scenario is copy that, then takes the lead. Now, that causes a lot of problems for a couple of other horses we'll be talking about, I'm sure, self-assured and Akuta, because copy that in front basically is unbeatable here in New Zealand. His record over the 2,200 metres is remarkable. He's won 16 races at that distance, Smithy, from the 27 starts. and only missed a couple of uh, times in the top three. So that's how potent he is, first of all, over the shorter course. Secondly, mm. when he finds the front. Greg, you mentioned the Australian interest in the race in terms of the drivers. The market tends to suggest the horses are probably cu- clutching at straws. Is that the way you see it? Yeah, Triple Eight's a horse we know really well, Smithy. He was with the uh, Stonewall Stud team, the Telford team, for a long time, and he's been domiciled in Australia for a long time. Uh, he's won 700,000. He's, he's a bona fide Grand Circuit horse. He doesn't win out of turn, Smithy, it's fair to say, and he certainly doesn't win out of turn at the absolute elite level. But he has Chris Alford. He's a terrific follower of speed. Uh, if he gets himself into the right spot and they go ballistic up front, because there are a couple of other scenarios. One, the Telfer Barn have already talked about going forward with BD Joe early, and if that happens, there could be a real early burn. Uh, and, and also Kango, who's drawn wide out. Now, David Butcher has indicated he probably wouldn't go forward, but what I've found over the years, Smithy, is the great masterminds of drivers... Uh, Anthony Butt was the best at it. They will say one thing and do completely the other or say nothing and do something you don't expect them to do. So it's a horse race at the end of the day. The second one of the Australians is a horse called Better Eclipse. Now, he is a bona fide Grand Circuit winner. He won the Sunshine Sprint. He won the Chariots of Fire. He finished third in a Miracle Mile. He is a horse that needs the right sort of run, though. Uh, So he's in the same camp as Triple Eight. He's a better horse than Triple Eight, in my opinion. Um, but he'll need a few things to go his way. Greg Shields is a brilliant driver. He really is. So he'll give him absolutely every chance. The wide front row barrier draw is a, a bit negligible to him because he can't really go forward anyway, Smithy. Right, let's look at the two horses you just briefly touched on, and yes, we will talk about them now, and that is um, the self-assured, of course, looking to go back-to-back, Natalie Rasmussen and, um, and the sulky there, uh, and Akuta. For uh, also for the the same trainers, Mark and Nathan Purden, driven by Mark himself, they're drawn ten and eleven. Yeah, tricky draws, you might think, but in in some sort of uh, racing act of the racing gods, they follow out Old Town Road and copy that. So the big four, Smithy, the four that ran in the top four last week in the lead-up race, the Waikato Flying Mile have drawn directly behind each other or beside each other in Old Town Road and copy that uh, case. So self-assured follows out Old Town Road. I spoke to Natalie yesterday about that and she said she, she believes she'd be foolish not to punch straight through on his back. Now, there is some risk with that because if Old Town Road gets the front, copy that, takes the lead, self-assured may well end up having to sit parked. You've got to remember, though, he did sit parked in this race last year for the last lap, and he was still able to win and hold off a, a very good Grand Circuit horse, a Majestic Cruiser. So he can do that, but he wasn't sitting outside copy that on that occasion, who's incredibly hard to get past. In fact, their record, Smithy, is they've clashed seven times. Copy that's won five out of the seven, and in all five, he's been in front of self-assured throughout the race. So... 
Self-assured mm. task will be enhanced by pressure from BD Joe, maybe a Kango, where they put a lot of pressure mid-race into copy that. If he gets it his own way in front, it's going to make him very hard to beat. Can Self-assured win again for the SENZ team? Uh, absolutely he can. Natalie Rasmussen's only driven him on two occasions, Smithy, in the Auckland Cup last May and last Thursday night, and she won but on both occasions. She's a brilliant driver, as you very well know, and she'll give him every chance. He he deserves to be right amongst the favourites here, as he is currently third favourite. A lot of people will be putting some money on the defending champion. Greg, million-dollar races don't come along very often in New Zealand, uh, be it harness or, uh, of course, the gallop side of it as well. Just how desperate um, do these drivers become? I mean, they're all very experienced drivers. Some of them have been driving for forever uh, but just how, what about the attitude here about giving yourself a, a great opportunity? Do, do you take more chances in a race like this? I mean, you don't want to be left, you don't want to be left wondering, do you? Well, that's what makes me think BD Joe and, and to a lesser extent Kango might have a crack because you're right, these races don't come around. The New Zealand Cup's worth $400,000 less, Smithy. You know, like this is uh, an opportunity for you to get. Uh, an enormous slice of the of the pie, four hundred and fifty thousand goes to the winner, um, and as a driver, you get five percent of that. So it's a it's a twenty thousand dollar plus payday for you. It's it's a big old payout. But um, in saying that, you've also got to give your horse every possible chance, and sending them on a mission that they're not capable of doing, well, that's going to end up leaving you with the egg on your face. The only horse we just didn't talk about then, Smithy, was Akuta, which my apologies, you did mm. ask about him too. Now, we know how good he is. He's trained by Mark and Nathan. Mark does the driving. He part-owns him. He was very good last week. There is a realistic chance, Smithy, that if the race becomes formulaic, there's a Michael Guerinism I'm sure you've heard before, uh, that Old Town Road <laughs> leads, copy that, takes the lead, self-assured's parked and Akuta drops straight on his back, that Akuta might be in the best possible position. Now, the only two times, Smithy, at the absolute elite level as a two-year-old, when he won the harness jewels, he came, swooped down the outside and just blew them away. And in the New Zealand derby, he sat back in the field and was absolutely outstanding, winning that 2,600-metre race in under 3.6. Um, he can, if he sits off the, spa, the pace and, and he hasn't had any pressure at all in the race, he can explode a cooter. So he's been a big mover. Like They put up $11 for him, the bookies, and, and the punters have, have gravitated towards him. He's into about 8 dollars or $9 now. So he's a chance. But back to your attitude around the drivers, Zachary Butcher is a very positive driver. He will definitely put his horse in the race. Blair knows his best chance is if he goes forward. Um, and, and Mark Purden and, and Natalie Rasmussen can be aggressive when they need to be. So I, I really can't see the winner coming from outside of those unless there's an absolute war inside the first lap and the big four are all involved in it and cop a lot of pressure, and that is an unlikely scenario. Greg, the idiosyncrasies of the Cambridge track compared to, say, in Alexandra Park, Compared to, say, an Addington, is it tighter? Do you have to make your move earlier? Uh, you know, uh, what, are the, what are the little things about Cambridge that make it a little bit different? Yeah, it's the same size as Alexandra Park, but a couple of hundred metres shorter than Addington. So it's a thousand metre circuit. Yes, the bends are, are tighter. Uh, therefore, making ground on the bends, particularly wide out on the track, is never an easy task at any level, let alone at the open class level. So you need to be 
in the fight a lap out. I think if you're off the speed against these types of horses, amongst the copy that's Old Town Road, Self Assured and Akuda, if you're back behind them, you're just not going to run past them, Smithy. All of the horses in this race are capable of running home in 54 seconds. So if you are a second off them, you can't possibly run past them, not the quality of horse that's in front of them. So the, the key thing for both self-assured and Akuta is making sure they're within striking distance. Cambridge is notoriously an on-speed lead trail um, markers, markers, markers type, ra- type race. No matter what's going to be three back on the fence in most people's maps here. So she's unlikely to burst up the passing lane and go past an old town road and copy that. And then the question is, are self-assured and Akuta close enough to power home like they did last week, self-assured, picking up, copy that in the latter stages. So that, that's how I assess the Cambridge track. You've got to be within three lengths, I believe, turning for home uh, in any type of race. You definitely need to be at this level. So from this uh, chat and uh, just finally, Gregor, I, I kind of get the feeling you think it's copy that's opportunity to lose if you if you get my drift in other words perfectly drawn oh, I think to so. dictate yep. yeah that's that's what i yep. you, you, that's the way you see it, it. It's, it is his race to lose and 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 i think everyone sees that scenario smithy if he gets the front like most people think and he's so hard to get past the the the, the selection for the race or the or the way that you've got to sum it up yourself as a punter is if you absolutely believe that's going to happen then copy that is likely to win the race, then $2.30 is a pretty good bet. You know, you'd be pretty happy to take that. Mm. But yep. I, I just I just don't see it being what I would describe as a boat race where they drop into position, there's no moves, and that's the end of the section. Because if that happens in a million-dollar race, people will go, well, that was boring, what a waste of time. Copy that was always going to win. I, I just don't think that Mark Purd and Natalie Rasmussen and a couple of the other drivers are just going to hand a million-dollar race to copy that. He may well still very, very much... Uh, win the race, and it is his race to lose. Mm. I actually went for self-assured, mainly at the value, Smithy. I, I mean, if, if if you if you want to have a bet in the race and and you you, you want to spend your ten dollars, you put seven dollars on self-assured. You put three three or four dollars, say six and four, on copy that, and you break even. Most people don't bet like that, but that's that's mm. probably a fair way of playing it. Because I, I honestly think one of those two will win the race, and um, I'm, I'm going to go for self-assured because I, I I think he's better value. Perfectly summed up, uh, Greg O'Connor. Perfectly done for us. Thanks. Just uh, everything we wanted to know there. Uh, look forward to tomorrow night uh, with Relish, actually. I, I, I think it's going to be a real highlight. Cheers, Greg. Thanks. Have a, have a terrific day. Good on you, Smithy. Thanks very much, buddy. Cheers. Greg O'Connor there. And um, I'm fully informed now. Don't need to know, know exactly what I'm going to do. And um, it'll be back. 9.47 here on SENZ. On SENZ. you got to know when the whole Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Miami very disappointing yesterday. Download the TAB app today. Sorry, Miami very disappointing yesterday and uh, went down to the Atlanta Hawks. So we'll go uh, again with basketball today. Toronto uh, Toronto Raptors to beat the Chicago Bulls at $1.41. That uh, will stay uh, very much a Toronto multi today. We'll stay with the Blue Jays as well to beat the Detroit Tigers uh, at $1.33. That's in the MLB. And the Dolphins against the Rabbitohs. Um, I like the Dolphins with an 11.5 point start. 11.5 point start against the Rabbitohs. I like that at $1.90. So I'll take that 
at $3.56. So the Blue Jays into the Toronto Raptors, into the Dolphins plus 11.5 at $3.56. That's our multi for today. Parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, coming up to uh, 10 o'clock, uh, we're going to be talking rugby straight after the break with Junior Polu Lealuganga. And the reason why, uh, of course, uh, he is uh, Samoan by birth uh, in terms of, of his uh, parents. His, up, his upbringing was in Auckland, but he has uh, got a good uh, connection with the, the islands. And tomorrow at 4.10, they take on the Reds. The Reds are really battling under Brad Thorne. He says, I've taken them as far as I can. I'm not the man for the job anymore. So is this the opportunity? Is this the opportunity for Moana Pacifica to get off the mark in this competition? Junior will tell us coming up after the news here with Aroha. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 10.03 here on SENZ. Uh, It's uh, New Zealand time, of course, uh, slightly different uh, to uh, where it is uh, in Australia, where we find uh, junior Polu Leo Luganga, who, of course, former uh, Manu Samoa Chiefs and Blues halfback is uh, well qualified to talk to us on uh, Moana Pacifica and their Super Rugby campaign this year and tomorrow of course they have a golden opportunity at 4.10 in Apia in Apia I, ha- I uh, repeat um, to uh, take on uh, the Queensland Reds who are battling I think it's fair to say and uh, their head coach Brad Thorne has uh, almost already stated in the media I think I've probably taken this uh, squad as far as I possibly can um, after their uh, recent results. So, uh, Junior, it's a big welcome to you. Uh, we find you in Brisbane. To, uh, tell us a wee bit to how you've ended up there. Hey, good day, Smithy. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so uh, me and the family made the big move over to Brisbane just before Christmas last year. And um, at the moment, um, I'm doing some coaching at an academy camp up in, uh, on the coast of central Queensland in Yapoon. Okay, um, what what attracted you there? Um, well, the lifestyle changed, to be honest. Uh, we've got five kids, three of them under five, and, uh, you know, we thought that um, might be a good opportunity to uh, cross the ditch and, and raise the younger ones here. Um, and um, so far, it's been really, really good. Uh, my family's got uh, siblings here as well, so that's made the transition really smooth. Excellent. Okay, good to know that uh, you're happy and you're set up over there. Yeah. Uh, Junior, we're, we're looking very, very uh, closely at, uh, in particular, Moana Pacifica and their campaign this year. It's been a, a case of, uh, I think, two games that got away on them. They blew the game against Fiji Drua right from the outset in game one, and then uh, they went very, very close against the force. So I think they perhaps should have had a win by now. Yeah, I've been um, keeping tabs on them from this other ditch and, um, you know, what I've been really impressed with is that they've been um, trucking along quite nicely. I uh, haven't been getting the wins, but um, they've been able to put out a, a pretty much a consistent team throughout and um, a couple of close losses, almost had that game uh, last weekend against Crusaders and I think they are due for a win and um, to make it even better where they're playing uh, in, in the islands, I think um, you know I'm pretty feeling pretty confident that they could come away with the win, especially against the Reds. So yeah, really looking forward tell to us, that. 
Tell us how big you think this is going to be in Apia tomorrow afternoon. Oh, it's going to have a huge effect. I think you can just look at um, the Fijian Fijian Juroa team and their home games. Look at the crowd, the amazing support that they've been getting. And and then that just uh, transfers into the performance of the team on the field. And um, I've been seeing a lot of the social media stuff with the Moana team being uh, in and amongst it over in Samoa, seeing the boys uh, dancing with the supporters and going to a few corporate events and it's going to be huge um, not only for Moana but for Samoa rugby as well especially with uh, the local boy Miracle um, who gets to play in front of his family and friends as well in Samoa That's that's an interesting point actually um, uh, of uh, being at home as such and I say that with an inverted commas because uh, a lot of of the Moana Pacifica squad uh, of course are not based there, have never been based there um, you know, uh, uh, there's a big Hastings Boys High contingent in there, uh, Junior, who have never probably set foot um, in Manus, uh, in Samoa as such. So for them, uh, it's not quite a homecoming, but it's a different feeling. Yeah, well, that's the opportunities that the Samoa Pacifica team brings uh, to the players. Um, allows them to, to travel uh, back to their, you know, their, their country, their parents uh, were born in. You know, their heritage allows them to um, travel there, get to meet their family that they've never met before as well, and uh, just immerse themselves in in the culture. And, uh, you know, it's brilliant. I just can't wait for the game in the weekend. Um, It's going to be huge. And, uh, you know, really, really happy that uh, just to actually see all the smiles on their faces, you know, you can tell that they're loving it, they're getting amongst it. And, um, you know, it's only one more sleep to go before the big game tomorrow. How have you felt uh, Aaron Majors and this uh, co-coaches have gone with the squad so far over the, the season and a half that they've been in here? Yeah, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy. Uh, but what they have had is a lot of time. They've had a full off-season and pre-season uh, program with the players. Um, a lot of the core group have come back from last year as well. And it's been really tough for them. Um, set piece has been struggling. Um the scrums and the lineouts, but they do have the ability. They just need a little bit more time together. Um, but there have been some standout players in saying that, especially in the backs with uh, the midfield combo. And, um, you know, they got a new coach in Damian Corona on board as well. And um, they're just starting to slowly, you know, it was always going to be more than a two-year plan, um, looking at a three- to five-year plan before we actually see the fruits of, the, of this team. Um, and, you know, second year, I'm pretty happy with where they're trucking along. They haven't been getting the wins, but they have shown a lot of potential, and that just showed last week against Crusaders where they nearly tipped them over at home. So, yeah, expecting a really big one tomorrow. So how important, um, you know, with your background, of course, um, particularly your your heritage there, how important is it uh, for a big result in terms of uh, the pathway, the growth for Moana Pacifica. How important is it for them to perform well with credibility tomorrow? It's vitally important uh, in order for us uh, to retain our own local talent um, in the Super Rugby Pacifica competition. Um, there, at the moment, there's a lot of old boys, so they've had a, they've organised a Manusamo old boys reunion. Um, in the same weekend and that's really good to try and help promote and just show the support that they have for this team um, and the pathway you can just have a miracle is a perfect example the Fijian draw team as well they're full of locals so this is an opportunity um, for the locals to see that there is a genuine pathway if they do perform well 
you know, they could get a Super Rugby contract and, and play. So, and hopefully we'll be able to hold on to them and not um, lose the ones that go to uh, play overseas. So, there is a genuine pathway. Miracle is a perfect example of that, like I said before. And um, having them play at home in front of them is awesome. And it's just going to, you know, allow those younger players, um, the ones that are in their last year of school and the ones playing in the local club competition, you know, for them to see them, you know, in person, see it live, it's just going to inspire them to want to play for uh, for Moana Pasifika. You mentioned uh, Miracle at six tomorrow. Uh, the, the skipper, uh, Solomone Funaki, uh, is, mm. is uh, at, at eight. And there's a very interesting selection. The first start uh, for Nico Jones, of course, son of uh, Sir Michael Jones, who was, I imagine, revered uh, in the island, Sir Michael Jones. So for Nico, it'll be a big moment. Yeah, I saw that. And, uh, you know, he's he's been in and around the squad. He's been really patient. And I heard he's been re- working really hard at, at trainings. I think he played a couple of games during preseason, but now he gets his opportunity to play his first game, you know, in Samoa, where his dad's from. Um, and it's going to be huge for the family there. It's going to be emotional as well, and that's going to be a really important part for Nico and the team is to try and control their emotions in a, in a big game like that. But it's going to be a really proud moment for um, for Nico and uh, Michael Jones, Sir Michael and, and the family, for sure. How have you looked at the half situation? Uh, tomorrow they're going with uh, Lincoln McClutchy at 10 and uh, Eddie Anadi at 9. How have you looked at uh, the way that the, the pivots, the playmakers have been performing? Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Anari. He executes the basics really well. Um, he's fit. He gets the, gets around the park pretty, pretty quickly. Um, very good pass on him as well. And his combination, they've been together for the majority of the games. And um, him and Lincoln, um, I think at times they could probably manage that middle part of the field a little bit better. Um, it might be part of their game plan where they really, really want to attack from that midfield part. Um, but in saying that, you know, they've... You know, they've been tasked to try and lead the team around the park based on, on what their game plan is. And, and I think they're going OK, but I hope they do step it up another notch um, heading towards uh, the last part of the season. Obviously, their opponents uh, tomorrow are the Reds. And uh, as Brad Thorne has stated very publicly, he's um, he's a bit baffled about where they're at at the moment after a couple of heavy losses. Uh, it's probably, I guess you've only been there, as you say, since just prior to Christmas, but it's the team closest to you. How, how much exposure have you detected for the Reds in a very competitive sporting market? Just how big are the Reds as such? Struggling. From my observations, being in Brisbane, it's just all NRL. doesn't help that the Reds um, you know, aren't winning games as well. Um, the crowd numbers prove that as well. And the quality of the rugby as well in the Premier competition isn't the greatest too. So it's not... Um, it's not a good marketing tool for them, and um, the private school competition is, um, yeah, just years beyond where um, where the top team is at the moment. So I think, um, yeah, I think a change is going to be going to happen pretty sooner rather than later. But at the moment, um, it's all rugby league um, in Brisbane, especially of the Dolphins so how do you- included. Yeah, the Dolphins, exactly. Wayne yeah. Bennett's Dolphins, yeah. I was just going to say. Mm. So yeah. here's the thing, uh, Junior. What have you noticed about going in and, and then coaching at the level you're coaching at now? Um, because 
in New Zealand, we're surmising it and we're a little bit worried about the club footy, um, the numbers in club footy, the direction of club footy, etc. and its impact. You're in at that level uh, with some of the coaching you're doing. How have you found it Queensland-wise? Yeah, so I work, um, I've got a rugby development role with Sunnybank Rugby Club and it's one of the premier clubs that play in the premier competition. And since being here and observing training and talking with coaches, I've had a really good insight on the junior space and the senior space. And the biggest um, thing that I've identified is the quality of coaching that they're getting. Um, some of the coaches are standoffish. They come across like they don't want to change. They're really old school. And you'll only get that quality, the quality coaching when you get to the higher level, the high performance stuff. But at the moment, the grassroots stuff, which is the important part for, you know, Australia, uh, Rugby Australia to do really well, that's where they're lacking uh, massively. And I've shared that with, with a few people as well around my concerns. And um, that's, you know, uh, a space where I really want to try and make a big impact because what they're getting um, at the grassroots level is, um, yeah, it's just not um, not where it needs to be in order for these guys to grow and develop. That's, that's what's, what's... Um, yeah... Junior, what's the uh, the island Pacific uh, uh, participation level like there in terms of the islanders playing there, as opposed to uh, say uh, Australian um, born rugby players as such? What what is the influence you're seeing from uh, the islands there in Queensland? Sorry, so are you, are you talking about the islanders coming from Samoa playing here, or the island islanders yeah, in yeah, Australia? Or... I guess what I'm saying, just numbers, numbers, and and you know the influence mm. that the numbers of Pacific Island players are having in Queensland rugby. I guess. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. There's a there's a lot of Pacific Islanders playing um, in the in the competition at my club. At my club itself, it's a majority. I'd say sixty percent, seventy percent Islanders. So um, oh. and then around the other clubs as well, uh, there's a lot of Islanders playing. Um, the thing is that they have the athletes. They've got the athletes in front of them. Um, they're all keen, but they're just not getting, getting the coaching. But there are plenty of Islanders here, and there's and I've been in the private school space as well, doing some coaching, and there's plenty of Islanders coming through as well in that space. And I can see a lot that have the that have the potential. A lot of guys in the same physique as Soili, tall, lanky, um, you know, athletic, natural athletic ability. So, you know, if they get the coaching uh, part right, you know, these guys could really do some damage in the future. Okay, so uh, just finally, Junior, uh, a lot of, uh, you've got a lot of friends and um, colleagues back here in New Zealand. What's, what's the aspirations? Where, where do you want to go in, in terms of uh, rugby from here on in? Yeah, so I'm um, really passionate about the community space and the development space. Um, my big focus um, at the moment for the next few years is to really, um, at the club that I'm at, is to focus on that youth space and really try and build the club from the under-15s grade up and hopefully build a, you know, uh, a five-year plan to do well. Uh, but at the moment, I'm really passionate and happy where I'm at with the youth space and, and the senior space to really try and create some change um, around that. Junior, absolutely fascinating to catch up with you and uh, get the insight on, on what you're up to. Um, had no idea about uh, that level of participation by Pacific Islanders and Queensland mm. rugby as such. Um, and, of course, uh, looking forward to that game tomorrow with, uh, with uh, 
Real anticipation. I, I think it's going to be a, a classic, and I can see it'd be a hell of a party, wouldn't it, if they got up just by the by? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just hope they make the flight the next day. <laughs> Junior, you're a character, mate. Hey, terrific to catch up with you uh, and hear uh, that, that you're doing well and and getting a lot of satisfaction out of us too. Uh, thanks for your time, mate. Have a terrific day. Cheers, Smithy. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, Junior, uh, Junior Polu Laganga there, of course, um, doing great things. Uh, only just started out, uh, but you can hear um, what he wants to do at grassroots level all over there in uh, Queensland rugby, um, particularly for his uh, club side, the Sunnybank Rugby Club. Uh, interesting, wasn't it, to, to hear about those participation numbers? Very, very interesting. It is 10.18. Uh, we've got a panel coming up uh, very shortly, consisting this morning of uh, Mr Graham Beasley and Mr Brad Lewis. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Right, Graham Beasley with us this morning and uh, Brad Lewis as well and uh, Graham. Uh, as a uh, tried and true Wellingtonian, you've got a choice to make tomorrow all of a sudden. Uh, Hurricanes v Chiefs oh. or Reb Patoni versus Old Boys. So, w- what are you going to do? Yeah, so it's, um, it's on Saturday. Um, it's actually not a, not a tricky choice, as it happens. The, um, the visit to Patoni is a highlight of the year, really, in the club season. Um, at the top of the table clash as well this, this weekend. I've been running two rounds with a couple of unbeaten sides. Um, you go out there, you go to the Italian restaurant, um, uh, La Bella Italia, which is owned by um, Libby Cacacci's father. Fantastic restaurant. You have a little lasagna, pizza for lunch. You chat to him. He's always keen to, to talk about how his son's getting on. You go on to the rugby, um, and, and it's, it's such a day out. You know, you go on to the Petoni Rec, the, the Andy Leslie Arena there, and Petoni, a great little club ground. Um, and it, as I say, it's, it's one of the highlights of winter. And it's just a shame that um, uh, it does clash with the Super Rugby match, but but for me it's a pretty easy decision. Okay, sounds like you're going for the lasagna. <laughs> I am. <laughs> it's uh, a nice filling um... one that they do there, so it's uh, <laughs> it's a good setup for the afternoon, that's for sure. Yes, and my bad, I preempted it. Of course, it's Saturday, not tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow being Friday, I've lost track of this week, uh, Graham. Uh, but it is um, aside from that. What did you make of that decision? Were they, were they, did they have any other options, the Hurricanes uh, franchise as such, when you look at um, Sky Television, you look at available opportunities, of course it, the lights were ruled out. Was it it's just an unfortunate one, this one, or could it have been done better? Oh, I think it could have been done better. It shows the disconnect for me between the Hurricanes and all Super Rugby franchises uh, and Club Rugby. Now... Because it's um, still holidays uh, and university holidays, etc. at the moment, there are no Colts games being played um, uh, this Saturday in Wellington. So there was a bit of window. I would have thought some consultation with Wellington Club Rugby may be looking at moving the senior games from 2.45 to, say, 12.30. Um, unfortunately, that would have meant no lasagna, of course, but um, moving all those games <laughs> to 12.30 and then maybe a 3.15 kickoff for the Hurricanes. Um, so people did did have the opportunity to do both, and I think you really could have marketed that. 
um, as, as, as a bit of a day out. But, you know, you, you go along to your club rugby game, and it also means that the players can get along and watch um, to watch a super rugby game as well. And I think if, if they'd done that, then it's, um, it would have fitted in. Um, a 3.15 kickoff in the stadium with no lights, you're fine this time of year. Um, you could get that in okay. And I, I just think as much as anything, it seems that they never really investigated that option. And, and that, for me, is the most disappointing part. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I, I think there's a, a a real not a bully situation, but it's certainly a a, a a talking down situation when it comes to the next level down. And uh, it, it it starts at the very top. I think Brad Lewis. Good morning to you. It starts uh, at All Black level, really. And uh, when we look at uh, just taking players out of competitions because they need a rest in World Cup year, etc. I think it's just another reflection of that. But, yeah, Hurricanes-Chiefs, it's the biggest game of Super Rugby this weekend. Three other teams have got buys. So uh, how do you see it, Brad, that situation? Yeah, look, I just got the, the back end of that. Um, and it kind of got me, me thinking, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I, I've always thought that there's a lack of curtain raises in Super Rugby and, and why not have club rugby games? Um, I know that, that in the past we've seen a few um, high school finals um, played at Eden Park ahead of Auckland High School final played at Eden Park ahead of um, Blues games but there, there must be a way to, to make these things work right and um, look taking super rugby player uh, all black players out of super rugby is like my biggest gripe I, I I don't understand it what really what good really is one week going to do for a player and I, I, I harp on about this all the time but you know like um, and it's professional sport and you know like if if, uh, if if LeBron James is 100% fit, he's going to play every game. Now, he's probably not the best example because he sits out a lot, but I look at a guy like, you know, uh, James Harden. If he's 100% fit in the NBA, he plays every game. Uh, I just, I don't understand this catering to the All Blacks when the product that we get right now is Super Rugby and we should be experiencing the best players every week. And, like, I look at the NRL for an example, guys, and that's been absolutely sensational this year and injuries aside the best players are on the park every single week and we're getting quite frankly a sensational product it is a sensational product we'll get to, to that very shortly brad i, I just want to look at the, um, the headline coming out of uh, nzr this morning and that is the appointment mm. of the black ferns assistant coaches uh, to uh, assist alan bunting the newly appointed head coach mike delaney tony christie steve jackson no Whitney Hanson now, uh, who has been appointed as head coach of uh, the Mata 2. Now, there's two ways to read that. Um, she was either dumped or she wanted to go back, and they've asked her to go back and become a head coach so in the future she can become a head coach at a higher level. Which way do you look at it? Yeah, um, I, obviously Whitney Hanson had a massive part to play in, in, in the victory for the Black Ferns last year, uh, and by all accounts, and the rest of the coaching staff really loved working with her. Um, I, I do actually wonder if that's a personal decision from her to potentially upskill herself to become a head coach. The Maratu are a very, very good side. Um, but I look at someone like Crystal Koa, right, from Chiefs Marawa. Now, I know they came up short in the finalist um, Opiki um, thanks to that mis- uh, penalty late in the game, but you know, she's lost one game in two seasons of uh, as a head coach of, of Chiefs Marawa. She's obviously doing things, things really well. Why not promote from within and give her an opportunity um, early doors to show what she can do um, in that in that environment if she was interested. That's the other thing we don't know is how many uh, female coaches sort of put their hands up and say, hey, yeah, I'd love to be part of Alan Bunting's team. Yeah. But um, certainly, if you're injured rugby, you should probably be quite aggressive in that fact and go after who you think are the best women's rugby coaches in the country.
Yeah, I find this, and I, and I think there there may well be ramifications over this. Uh, I'm not sure they'll do anything about the appointments, but I, I, I can already see articles coming out about this, Graham Beasley. Uh, where are the women in the setup? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think I, I agree with Brad that I think there's a chance that it was um, actually uh, Winnie Hanson's choice to, to go down the uh, uh, Mudster route. And I think probably New Zealand rugby should have actually, I, I think they missed a the trick there. I think they should have made more of a deal about the fact that she has been appointed to that role. So he got someone in charge of the Super Rugby Eye Rugby team, uh, you know, a woman, obviously, and, and that is perceived to be her, her best progression to then be um, to then be the coach of the back ends down the line. And uh, I actually think to a certain extent she may have made the right decision um, to do that, but it's, um, in, in, in the short term it's not a good look. But I think in, in the long term that might be best for her. But they really should be concentrating on getting every farmer Farrah uh, Palmer Cup team being coached by a woman, or at least have them in the sort of in the top two coaches, and that's the way to do it. You know, you bring them up from the bottom, and the same um, could be said for female referees as well. Really encourage the development there. There's no point in fast tracking female referees into the um, into the top jobs because that's just not fair on them. It's not it's not fair on anyone really to do that. Um, but to have a clear sort of path that they can then, that they can go through there um, should be the objective. But they, New Zealand rugby probably needs to communicate all that a bit better. At the moment, it just it, it can appear for people just following it casually. It can appear to be um, just jobs for the boys. That could be the line of uh, the last two years. Actually, New Zealand rugby needed to communicate it better. Um, Graham Beasley uh, with us and Brad Lewis with us this morning we'll take a very short break for some news with Araha then we'll return with part two Big talk, big opinions, the panel Graham Beasley, uh, Brad Lewis with us this morning now Brad Lewis, if you are Andrew McFadden of course you are the boss of recruitment for the Warriors are you going to Sean Johnson and say right now with this form Sign up again, please. It's um, it's crazy because this is the time of year. We're only six weeks into the comp, and this is the time of year where you have to start looking at who you're going to re-sign for next season, right? And so far, Sean Johnson's passed the eye test, um, and by all accounts, also within the camp, um, doing great things in a leadership role. So, look, I think on 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 form and on what he's given so far this season. Absolutely. Now, there's some really talented players sitting behind him. I mean, Tamati Martin's there as well, but Luke Metcalf, we haven't even seen this year, uh, is, a, is, a, is an outstanding talent. They've got young Volkman as well. So there are some young players there that have the potential to slot into that role. But um, if you can't find anyone better than Sean Johnson and with like, Mitchell Moses off the market, there probably isn't a half better than Sean Johnson, then, then sign him up for another season. Um, but the question will come whether or not Sean Johnson and his management team sort of said, hey, we want a two-year extension, not a one-year extension, so they can have a bit more certainty from, from, from their point of view. But look, I, I think if you're Andrew Webster right now, that answer is yes. If you're the Warriors, that answer is yes. But, you know, we know with Sean Johnson that that can change. But I've, I've been really impressed with it, with how he's played this season. So at this point, my answer is, uh, is yes, re-sign him. Okay, and, and of interest to me too, Brad, is that they've gone away from uh, Volkman this weekend. They've gone for... Dylan Walker in the Flaymaker's role as such, so clearly they're not confident that he's quite got the goods as such in terms of maybe re-signing him as a package, but uh, how do you see this uh, Cowboys uh, game going? Uh, massive occasion back at Mount Smart. 
Yeah, Cowboys been super hot and cold this year. You look at them on paper, and they're an outstanding side. Um, the Warriors trounced them in Townsville, which was unexpected early doors in the competition. Uh, it's 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 a tough game, and with with so many like key players missing, and we don't know um, the sort of fitness of Tohu Harris. Um, and the Warriors have really missed him the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's it's one of those games where. At the start of the season, you probably pencil it down for a Cowboys victory, but you know um, the Warriors are at home. Uh, that Mount Smart Stadium probably worth six to eight points, um, given that it's. I would imagine it's going to be pretty close to a sellout again. Uh, I, I like their chances, and, and look, Dylan Walker was brought to this club for this very reason: the fact that he can pretty much play any position aside from prop. So that's why you bring an experienced player like that so he can fit into that role um, in, in the half. So, uh, yeah, look, I have no problem with that. Um, obviously, Andrew Webster believes that Volkman's not quite ready yet, which is, which is totally fine, and, and, and I, like, I like the idea of playing him there. Um, also, I see Blake Aceford during the week sort of suggested that, that Charles Nickel Klostar might be a... Might, you might see him play more on the front line um, this week with sort of um, with, with Dylan Walker maybe defending, uh, attacking from fullback. Um, so we'll see if that if that um, if that's how it plays out. Okay, um, Graham Beasley, um, put your league hat on momentarily if you can. Um, you, what have you noticed about this resurgent Warriors? Would you sign Sean Johnson straight away on what you've seen in the first what tenth or a quarter of the season? Um, yes, I would, but but I think Brad totally know the main issue there is how long do you re-sign him for? I think it's a no-brainer to re-sign him for next year, you know, given the um, how he's been playing so far this year and the um, and mentoring role he has. I think you can be pretty confident that he would be at that level again um, next season. It's the following one and you never quite know and um, given age and, and, and given in the past, you know, when he has picked up little injuries, his form has gone up and down the side with that. Um, and um, his management team are totally in their right to sort of almost uh, uh, insist on a two-year extension, and then you know they'll, they'll sort of leak some rumours about him being linked with Wigan or or, or something like that. And that that's how how the whole game works. So I expect that we're going to see a bit of that over the next month. But um, yeah, that's that's a thing for the Warriors to to manage carefully. But they should definitely be trying to sign him for um, at least one more year. Okay, right. Um, uh, in terms of um, our pugilist star, and I'm talking here of uh, Izzy Adesanya, the style bender. Uh, d- what did you, uh, I mean, um, in, in terms of that, Graham, what did you make of his uh, post-fight antics? Bad taste or just part of the deal? Um, I... I thought it was bad taste, but you know, here we are, we're still talking about it a few days later, and so that's where um, MMA gets things right. I wasn't offended by the such, but I just thought, well, Pratt, you know, you don't need to do that. Imagine carrying a grudge against a 10-year-old kid for something that kid did when he was four, and to immediately think of doing it. It wasn't as if he did it a day later, or he did it after the press conference, or something like that. Within seconds of winning that bout, that is what he was doing, showed that... Um, you know, it had been niggling away in his, at the back of his mind for the last six years, and I actually think, I kind of think that's a bit sad, really. I think it's worse than sad, to be perfectly honest, but Brad, you might have a different opinion. I don't, like, I, for me, it's like, it, it, look, yeah, it, is it petty? Yep, absolutely. Petulant, yes, but it's very Israel Adesanya. Like, that's who this man is, and what's frustrated me this week, and I guess, you know, you can throw the card that, well, that's his fault, but, like, it's it's taken away from what was a career-defining performance against the guy who's his personal professional demon. 
um, and one of the greatest strikers in the world in Alex Pajeda. Um, Israel's performance in the cage was flawless. It was beautiful. Um, he suckered him in um, with head movement and defense and landed a left hook and then two overhand rights that put Pajeda to sleep for the first time in his life. And, and I, I, it frustrated me that after the fight, I'm getting notifications, A, about Donald Trump being cage side, and B, about Israel Adesanya's quote-unquote disgraceful act, when his post-match, his post-fight speech was arguably the greatest post-fight speech in UFC history, when he was talking about how people can overcome things like their demons, and how no one, he, he wants everyone to experience the happiness that he was experiencing in that moment, but you have to go out and get it. And, and I haven't seen that written anywhere. And that's really frustrating for me. And, yeah, petulant, absolutely. Was I, you know, it was funny. Like, I, I thought it was hilarious because I know Israel. I know the type of guy that he is. That's very young. But I also know that his teammates call him the best teammate in the gym, that he's selfless. Uh, so he, he, he would put um, his, his coat from, from his back on you if you were cold. Like, he is the ultimate teammate in that gym. And it, uh, but again, he's who he is. He's Israel Adesanya. He's uh, he doesn't care. He's full of four-letter words, um, and he he doesn't really care what people think of him. And that's what makes him right now with Conor McGregor sidelines the biggest star in the UFC and in combat sports. Interesting, very interesting perspective there. Uh, just finally, uh, Graham, we better touch on uh, the Black Caps. And uh, now we've got to get used to life without Kane at World Cup level. Uh, do we find um, a replacement? Do we? Uh, what are we looking at at number three as we look to learn from these uh, these games coming up? Yeah, I think we're still um, getting our heads around the Kane Williamson. You know, just just when you thought there wasn't another reason why you felt a bit of discomfort about the RPL and its its impact on world cricket, there, there comes a pretty obvious example of it. Um, I think well, it certainly makes this tour of Pakistan more interesting. You'd think to a certain extent there's a bit of a head-to-head race between Will Young and um, Henry Nichols. Um, you know, Nichols did win the last World Cup final. His record's pretty good. It's not that great in Asia. Will Young is pretty inexperienced in Asia, and, of course, the, um, the World Cup coming up is, is going to be held in India. Um, and the other person I'd throw into the mix, and I think he's going to be part of the squad anyway, is, uh, uh, is Tom Blundell. Um, I mean, he was part of the 2019 World Cup squad of 15. He didn't get on the field, but he was there pretty much in those days as a, as a backup keeper alone. And I think in India, you need a proper backup keeper. You can't rely on Nichols or Conway or whatever um, uh, if Latham goes down. So you need someone who can keep in those conditions. And he actually is an outside chance, I think, to, um, to fill that number three slot. Or maybe even open with Conway to three, or you know they might sort of tinker, tinker that around. But I do think he's a genuine top order batting option. Mm, interesting, uh, gentlemen. Thank you very much. I, I, honestly, uh, Graham, I got no idea how we're going to fill those shoes. To be perfectly honest, but thanks. No, very much no for I don't know either. Uh, nah, Graham Beasley this morning. But I mean, it's Brad good to add that sort of trial aspect to the story of Pakistan, isn't it? Well, it, it, you know, if, if the games themselves mean not much. At least there's that significance for us. You're right. Watching on from afar. Graham Beasley, Brad Lewis, uh, thanks gentlemen. Have a terrific day. Uh, And uh, the panel this morning (coughs) was uh, made up of uh, a lot of uh, conjecture there and I really loved uh, that insight too from Brad on Israel Adesanya behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. Uh, It's 10.43.
Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And one of those is uh, Louis Herman Watt, who will actually, I believe, be on course tomorrow at Cambridge. Is, is that true, uh, Louis Herman Watt? And uh, what role are you playing, if so? Michael, Karen and myself uh, have a broadcast from 6pm through to after the race. So we're doing a version of the good oil on track to bring all the colour like we did last year and hopefully... Um, bring the good luck so we can go back-to-back and Self-Assured can still be the champ around uh, Cambridge Raceway. So, yeah, and I'm looking forward to get back. I was a big supporter of the whole project when Dave mentioned it way back uh, a couple of years ago, and he's done a hell of a job at Cambridge Raceway to pull it off. So I can't wait for that. And the beauty is, Smithy, we've got group racing the Thoroughbred Code tomorrow to warm us up. Yes, Awapuni. Tell us a wee bit about that. Well, I'll tell you what, I was big on Aromatic and the Thoroughbred Breeders on Saturday. She had no luck and, as it turns out, wasn't going to get close to Belle Claire, who was absolutely flying for Sam Spratt and Lisa Ladder. But, look, this is a really smart race. They're up to 2,000 metres. Kempe's horse, Cinerama, won it last year. And I like Aromatic again. She's on the backup. She gets Opie Boss in the ultimate gear upgrade. And she can go back over 2,000 metres. Uh, there's been enough drizzle to, to have it in that soft range. I probably would prefer it to be in that soft range come tomorrow. I've got respect for a bunch of the mares in this race. Zola, Express, St. Alice, huge last start. Kelly Coe runs good races. Uh, Pride of Aspen runs good races. Looks pretty talented. It was always well placed by uh, the team there. And uh, Patchy Ann, Honest Mare, Lavita Vishvi for... Uh, your mate John Barry as well. Like this is a good race, but I just want to be with Aromatic on the quick backup over stepping up in ground. Um, I think that'll suit her, and I think if we can get a bit of moisture in the surface, she'll be really, really hard to beat. So that's what I'm looking at at Alpuni and Smithy on Saturday at Hastings. I do think it's Waisaki's Cup. I think Waisaki wins the cup and um, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say at all because he is back to 53 kgs after a long period of time. If he can get some luck in the run and Sean Mackay can wake him up because at one stage he will be disconnected from the field. If he can wake him up in time to catch up over 2,200 metres, a little bit short of his best, I think he'll be really, really hard to beat with that weight. Colorado star in such good form, but giving a horse like Waisaki 6 kgs, I just I don't like those math, those odds. Okay, uh, just finally, too, uh, very quickly, we look at the all-age stakes at, at Randwick on Saturday as part of the championship as well. Zaki stepping out, resuming, um, and quite well favoured in the market for James McDonald. Yeah, oh, I've had trouble with this on Smithy. What do you do? Like, Zaki Fresh versus the likes of Lost in Running and, in particular, Giga Kick up to 1,400 after his huge run last start, only getting beaten by maybe the best horse in Australia. I wish I win. Then you've got Cascadian dropping back to 14. Private Eye there as well, so class horses, Marzu. Can Zaki be good to go fresh? Well, he's won four from his six fresh, uh, nine fresh starts. He gets J-Mac. What price would he have to be? I don't know. You're getting five fifty, two dollars ten at the moment. It's just so hard to know mm. what version of Zaki you're getting. 
but a heavy track, he'll be really hard to beat. I'm probably leaning, probably leaning Giga Kick, though. Good on you, Louis. You have a terrific day, and uh, we'll touch base again tomorrow, uh, prior to tomorrow night, which is huge, 10.52. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.58, we're joined by uh, Paul Moati from uh, the TAB. Um, Paul, uh, what are we looking at today? Uh, of course, we've got NRL tonight being Thursday. We've uh, also got uh, some play in action in the NBA. Yep, that's right, Smitty. In terms of the NRL, uh, the big game tonight, the Dolphins hosting the uh, South Sydney Rabbitohs. Money for the Rabbitohs. We cannot turn the tap off. They're currently a $1.29 favourite to beat the Dolphins uh, up north there. Dolphins, three forty-five. And the Dolphins are 11 and a half point underdogs. They've been pretty good, so that 11 and a half does attract me. But money so far with the South Sydney Rabbitohs in terms of the NBA. As you said, there's a couple of playing games today. The Raptors hosting the Bulls, Pelicans hosting the Thunder. Uh, money with the Bulls, the Outsiders in the early game. 285, they are head to head. That's where the action is. Uh, and in the Pelicans Thunder, it's fairly even at the moment. $1.45 on the Pelicans, uh, $2.65 on the Oklahoma City Thunder. And of course, tomorrow night, the million dollar, the race by Grins at Cambridge Raceway. Just having a look at the market now. And there's a couple that they have come for. The defending champ, number 10, self assured. Um, look. In the second row, but we'll probably get a nice little track through. Um, so certainly a chance. Four fifty into three eighty, and Akuta eleven dollars into seven dollars fifty. Money for Akuta uh, to be driven by Mark Purden, uh, the favourite, not without friends, but has drifted from uh, the opening quote of two twenty out to two forty. Copy that two twenty out to two forty. Wow, I'm all over copy that on the back of uh, what Greg O'Connor told us this morning. So there you go. Uh, thanks for that, Paul. Have a terrific day. It is uh, coming up to 11 o'clock here on SENZ, and we're going to talk to Guppy after the break. Martin Guptill, cricket on the agenda. and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. On SENZ, uh, and it's uh, time to talk a bit of cricket now. Um, we're going to be talking to um, Martin Guptill, who's uh, on the line of Guppy, of course, 198 one-day internationals, 47 tests, 122 T20s, uh, just an amazing career, uh, without doubt, one of our finest ever white ball cricket players. Um, and these days, um, flying his uh, particular trade around the world is uh, pretty much a gun for hire in terms of uh, going around a uh, few of the T20 leagues. So uh, he's finally home, and there's a great chance to catch up with uh, with Martin Gupto and just see where he's at at the moment. Guppy, yeah, good morning to you. Thanks for your time, buddy. No worries, buddy. Thanks for having me, mate. Hey, look, um, where are you at at the moment, mate? Um, let's, uh, last time I looked, you you're at Saxton Oval after being in Lahore. I mean, how did that come about? Oh, I just thought, um, you know, it's a good chance to have a game for Auckland, last game of the season. Um, we'd lost five players to um, higher honours sort of thing, so I, I said to the coach, I'm home, I'm, I'm available to play and I want to play, so... Um, he was pretty happy to have me back. Um, you know, just brought a little bit of experience to the side, and uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get across the line. And your stags uh, got there, mate. 
Yeah, it was an interesting game of cricket, though, but you played your part, you guys. I mean, um, and it's it's not a, it's, it's a little bit of ancient history now, but the, the, you're within the camp, and the declaration at 160 for one, and to say, let's play some cricket, uh, brought them back into it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why you play the game, isn't it? You, you don't just want to play a three-day game that ends in a no result. Um, it, it, that's just not cricket, you know. CD obviously needed to win to win the Plunkett Shield and you know we wanted to make a game of it and, and have a bit of a go so yeah we, we got it very wrong on the last day there and you know hats off to Ray Tall though he bowled extremely well to him take seven for uh, you know on on a wicket that wasn't offering too much for the bowlers you know he got the ball swinging and, and you know we just couldn't quite um, uh, adapt to it so um, you know well, well done to CD You have to pinch yourself though you look at the atmosphere at Saxon Oval um, compared to where you've just come from uh, the Keta, Queta Gladiators, who played what most of their games in Lahore. Uh, we sort of played all round, to be honest, Smithy. We we had a game in Multan first up, and then we had four games in um, in Karachi, and then uh, we had one game in Lahore, and then four games in Rawalpindi. So we we got around a wee bit. Okay, how how does how does that work in um in the Pakistan league in that regard? How do they work the draws then on that basis? Because Queta's uh, a long way away from. Lahore, yet uh, my research says it's almost your home ground. That's not true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got no idea how it works, to be honest with you. Um, I just turn up where I need to be, and, uh, you know, we get on a flight the next day, and, and we're at the next next um, city. So, yeah, I, I honestly don't know how they do it. And, um, but uh, it worked out all right. I mean, it, was, it was a great tournament to be part of, and, um, you know, very lucky to have got the opportunity. So tell us about the Pakistan League as uh, compared to, say, the IPL, the BBL, which you're also playing. Oh, they're all very different, Smithy. It's, it's hard to compare. Um, obviously, different conditions and that sort of thing. And uh, I think in Pakistan, you know, the, the fast bowling stocks there, the, lo- the young local guys, are, is um, amazing. I mean, they just want to be like, you know, obviously, Wadi Makram, Shoabakta, Wakar Yunus, um, just to name a few. Um, you know, that's who they grow up watching and, and you know, that's who they want to be. So we got we got on some pretty... Um, yeah, in fact, there's one guy in particular, Arsenal, he's you know, got a bit of, bit of speed behind him, um, you know, up in the 150s, so it was, um, yeah, yeah, we had to adapt uh, to different, um, different players all the time. It clearly doesn't, uh, well, from the outside, doesn't have the same hype as the IPL, but to Pakistan people who are so proud and, of course, uh, so anti-India in a lot of areas, how do they rate uh, the PSL? They love it, mate, and, and as I said, it's a great tournament to be part of, and there were some really good atmospheres um, being created by the crowds there. They're loving having cricket back and um, having guys come across and play, so, um, you know, I think they're going to have some decent crowds over there for the next um, Black Caps tour that's about to start. So how does it, how does it work for you these days? Um, you know, you, you decided that you wanted to do your own thing as such. So h- how do you map out a year? I mean, for instance, what's next? I mean, when, when do you decide, decide what's next? Well, yeah, we're, we're trying to work through a few different things, talk to a few people and what we can get, um, trying to trying to lock down a, a Caribbean league deal for later in the year. Um, there's a potential for a Sri Lankan league as well, um, and maybe maybe the major league one in, in the States. We've just got to sort of work through that in the next few weeks to hopefully nail it all down and um, get... Uh, and. Yeah, to get to get to cricket going, and um, you know, obviously, still want to play for New Zealand as well, and um, that hasn't quite uh, gone to plan for this trip. Right, let's uh, look at that then. Uh, I mean, are you in contact at all with Gary Stead, or I think Gavin Larson's pretty much finished now. So, 
Do you have any contact at all with New Zealand cricket at the moment? Uh, well, I had a meeting with Gary two weeks ago. Um, and, yeah, obviously we were told I wasn't going to be on this, this trip to, to Pakistan, which was a, a bit of a shame for me. I really wanted to be on it, and I thought I could have um, you know, really helped the team out having just been there playing cricket. So uh, how optimistic uh, then on the basis of that, that uh, with Kane out, the possibility now that uh, you may well be, in terms of experience, 198 games for God's sake, um, a number of World Cups, three I think, um, any basis or any fact that you've, you've got any hope of getting to, uh, to India in, in October, November? Well, there's always hope, Smithy. you always got to hang on to that little bit of hope. Um, you know, I'm, I'll put my hand up and say I'm still available. Uh, I still want to play. So, um, you know, obviously we've just got to go out and score runs and, and from there we'll see what happens. So, um, OK, uh, let's look at um, Pakistan cricket. You've been, uh, as you say, mixing with uh, uh, Pakistan up-and-comers and their experienced players. Are they a World Cup threat for you? I reckon they've got a, a pretty good chance here, a great great side. They've got match winners all the way down their order. I mean, you look at the top and you, Abar Azam is, is one of the best players in the world at the moment. Uh, he just churns out runs for absolute fun. Uh, makes it look pretty easy, um, and then you look at their bowling stocks. I mean, Shaheen Shahafridi, you know, he's a he's world class, and he's only 21 or 22, I think, and you know he's got he's so long left in the game, and he's already achieved so much. So they've got some really really good players, and I think they, um, you know, if they can get get a bit of momentum going early in the tournament, they could be a force to be reckoned with. So uh, in terms of. Um, uh what it's going to take to win in, in India uh, this time? What kind of what kind of surfaces that do you, that you think they'll prepare surfaces for for India, and then when it comes to the other games that don't involve India, there'll be different surfaces. Yeah, it's a hard one to really um, to really know that at the moment, Smithy. That obviously the all every stadium is different in India. Um, you got the likes of Chennai, where it's a little bit lower and slower and turns a lot more and. Uh, you know, Mumbai, you can have an absolute belting wicket or, or it can actually turn there as well. So there's, there's so many different places that they're going to be playing at and you just never know. I mean, you know, India having the home crowd advantage um, through for the whole tournament is going to be, they're going to be pretty tough to beat over there as well. So, you know, they, the last one there, they won it. So it's, um, you know, they'll have that a bit of expectation on their shoulders as well from the, from the locals and, and things. And it's going to be uh, a tough one for them to win, to back it up there. But, um, you know, India are world-class as well. So they're a very good chance. I noticed, I looked at the makeup of the, the gladiators who've just been playing for, um, and I think it's a great irony that um, you're uh, opening the batting with uh, a lot of the time with Jason Roy, of course. If we go back to 2019, it was you and Jason Roy, basically, in a race for the World Cup. Um, we know what happened there, Guffy, but it's a small world cricket, isn't it, when you, you consider that? What kind of bloke's Jason Roy? How did he play over there? Yeah, I got on really well with him. Um, we obviously had a had a wee joke about that uh, that final ball and what happened, but um, no, we got on really well and uh, loved batting with him. Um, you know, he scored a, he got 145 not out in one game, and it was just an absolute ridiculous innings um, where it just everything flowed. And we chased 240 with about 10 balls to spare or something like that. So it was um, unbelievable, unbelievable to watch. And um, you know, he thinks about the game really well, and not only his batting, but in the field and how he helps out the younger guys and and the bowlers and what they they're trying to do and setting fields and that sort of thing. Um, for them, is you know, he's got a great cricket brain. 
So how did uh, how did you enjoy the BBL then? You you called in uh, to the Renegades to play for the Renegades. How did you enjoy that experience? And where does the BBL rate in terms of uh, leagues around the world? I love the BBL, mate. It was uh, a great experience. Unfortunately, I didn't score the runs that I wanted to or anything like that. But um, you know, they looked after me really well, looked after my family well, and um, just a great bunch of lads. Um, and it was a really, really well-run tournament. Um, love to give it another crack if I if I get the opportunity. Um, so hopefully, hopefully later in the year we might be able to get involved in that again. But um, we've just got to wait and see. But uh, yeah, hard to. Uh, I always find it hard to rank leagues um, one better than the other or anything like that because they're all so different. Um, but being an Aussie, you know, you absolutely love that. Um, you know, I'd love, as I said, I'd love to give another go. How do you maintain the desire, Guppy? You're 36 years of age. Uh, you just sound as keen as you were 15 years or, uh, about getting out and playing this afternoon, for instance. How have you been, been able to, to maintain that? Yeah, it's 36 years young, thanks very much, Smithy. I'll just point that out. Um, but... Uh, yeah, no, I still love playing cricket. Um, you know, I want to do it for as long as, as I can and as long as my body allows me to. Um, so as long as I, you know, keep keep fit strong and I can um, carry on and I'm still enjoying it, then, um, you know, I'll, I'll carry on doing it. So um, have you thought about, um, is it just um, home daddying, home daddying for while well, Laura goes out and makes millions? Is it, what, what's the situation after cricket? Well, let's hope Laura pulls in a few million a year so I, so I don't have to go out and do any work. But uh, no, I haven't quite crossed that bridge yet, Smithy. Um, but it's just nice being home in the moment and, and spending time with the family um, before I have to shoot off again. So, um, yeah, we'll look at that um, a little bit further down the track. OK, mate, uh, cool. Uh, great to catch up with you. Uh, always love uh, hearing your enthusiasm for the game. Um, I'm interested to... I don't expect for one second you to tell us the ins and outs of your conversation with Gary Stead, but uh, I hope, like hell, the door isn't closed. Um, and um, we'll just see what happens from here on in. Uh, nice little chat. Thanks uh, for your time, mate. Have a terrific day. Cheers, mate. You too, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Martin Guptill there, of course. I just don't get it at times uh, somehow. Um, the desire is still there. The experience is plain to see. Um, and it's just, uh, to me, uh, from the outside, this is me from the outside, uh, it just looks very tough uh, for his way back into that team. If ever, if ever they were going to, um, I think, give him an opportunity, uh, would be now. Would be now for me um, with no Kane Williamson. You just have to have an experience level of going into a World Cup. And without Williamson, um, it's not there. It is simply there without Williamson. Uh, we lost Taylor, lost Guptill. Um, you know, if you're, if you're looking at that in a, a four-year cycle, um, I just, I, oh, it's got me baffled a wee bit, Ricardo, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a strange one for me too because I look at it and I think, you know, I talked to Ken Rutherford not long ago and he said he, he believes that Devin Conway's uh, best position is not opening but is is, is probably four. Um, but you could do move move Devin to three and, and have Guppy in there opening because you get that experience and, and you need that experience. You need all those runs. I mean, I think he was our top run scorer uh, in 2022 in ODIs, Martin Guptable. And that wasn't that long ago, right? So uh, I'm not sure what else he has to do, especially when you get a guy like, say, Henry Nichols. I don't understand how Henry Nichols gets a spot in an ODI side batting at six when he doesn't offer anything else. He doesn't bowl, he doesn't do anything else. So that selection makes no sense to me. This selection would make perfect sense. 
Well, it does. I mean, it's 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 almost an SOS for me. That's that's where we're at in terms of experience. Um, you know, they just have got a, a very closed shop and a closed. I I think they they really have a very narrow tunnel in terms of their thinking. Um, you know, uh, Clarkson's another one for me. Why is Clarkson not um, in any of these teams that they keep uh, picking to go? I mean, you know what you're going to get from Henry Nichols. It's going to be not, it's not going to be flamboyant. It's going to be steady, uh, solid kind of cricket. Um, he did a job for us in the World Cup in uh, nine, uh, 2019, uh, an okay job. It wasn't uh, an outstanding job. Didn't set the, house, the world on fire as such. He just did that kind of a job. But in that team, of course, we had Williamson. Uh, we had Guptill. We had Taylor. We had some firepower and a lot of experience. We haven't got that now. We haven't got any And to tell me that Henry Nichols is going to be uh, the experience that wins the World Cup for us in India, I can't even understand that. I mean, uh, and uh, I, I also, on the basis of uh, consistency, uh, Henry Nichols clearly will stay in the in the test side going forward because he just got 200. So he's bought himself a lot more opportunities under the current structure. But should he? I mean, for instance, uh, does 200 after a, a long drought does that buy you, uh, guarantee you a berth um, in the New Zealand side? I mean, for God's sake, 10 wickets in an innings didn't get uh, Ajaz Patel any guarantees. Mm. In fact, it's got him two overs since he <laughs> actually performed that in Test cricket. So don't tell me, if you're looking at consistency, don't tell me you've got to treat Henry Nichols any different than you are Ajaz Patel. 200 after a drought doesn't mean to say the problem's solved. Um, and if you're consistent, I'll leave it at that. If you're consistent... Uh, look at uh, Ajaz Patel. 11.18, Ricardo, we'll take a break and then we'll pop on back, shall we? Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose Season 2. Rightio, let's uh, have a look at uh, our Pacing for Purpose horse for this week. Of course, uh, all proceeds uh, of any dividend that we get uh, go straight to Women's Refuge, our uh, charity of choice. Racing at Winton today. Uh, race number two, horse number six, it is high energy, uh, career record of five from five says it all. She was immense winning on uh, Grand Prix Day last December. If anywhere near her peak, uh, she just wins. So there we go. It's high energy today at Winton. Race two, number six. Incidentally, uh, an update on the funds so far. Breakfast have raised 610. We're $717.50. Uh, $300 for afternoons and $1,413.50 for drive. So uh, currently in second spot, uh, but we need high energy to get up for us uh, later on today. Rightio, uh, Ricardo, I I think we should mosey on across to the sports desk and 
you got cricket and football on your mind today? Yeah, cricket and football, mate. Well, let's start with cricket, given we've been talking to Guppy. Um, it's, uh, what's making the news over in Australia is that uh, David Warner, not all is well with him over at the IPL. Uh, he's scoring runs, but he's doing so uh, very slowly uh, by their standards. He, uh, the, the Delhi Capitals, where he's playing, um, he scored four half centuries there this season, but the best clip is at uh, 114 strike rate. So uh, it was interesting that Axar Patel, um, who was batting with him when they when they lost their last game to the Mumbai Indians, uh, they lost by six wickets. He was asked about David Warner after the game. He said, even the last couple of games when he's been trying to hit it, it's not been coming off. He hasn't hit a six all season. He's hit fours, but no sixes. Everyone's spoken to him. The conversation about his strike rates come up. They look at all his videos, and he's working on it. Ironically, he's the second leading run scorer in the IPL with 209 runs, but... That uh, strike rate of 114 and the fact he hasn't hit a six yet is certainly uh, causing problems for him and uh, the pressure certainly seems to be on David Warner in the IPL. It's always on David Warner uh, because he lives his life in the public and um, he's got a wife, of course, who's a very high-profile uh, sporting person in her own right uh, and now Candice, of course, is uh, quite an outspoken uh, mother and supporter of David Warner. So uh, the media love that. They absolutely dine out on it. Now, David Warner has signed uh, quite a big contract uh, with Fox Sports uh, to join their commentary team at some stage when his career is finished. They didn't anticipate it would be uh, perhaps this year. Perhaps uh, uh, he wants us to uh, go out on his own terms in Australia um, and, um, you know, just uh, play in the Ashes. Of course, that was one of his big goals, to play in the Ashes in England again. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what is in front for David Warner. He is far from the most popular person still in Australia. He scores a lot of runs, and of course, uh, when he does that, uh, he's, uh, uh, cricket fans uh, tend to like him. But outside of that, uh, you look at social media on David Warner, you look at some of the comments uh, that fly around about him and uh, you know the high-profile family that he has. Uh, he's not that most popular guy over there, so he lives a, a lot of life under pressure after uh, Sandpaper Gate. Yeah, he does. And, you know, to be honest, I, I'm not his biggest fan, Smithy. I've been pretty vocal about that. And, and a lot of it came for me off the back of um, what he did uh, after the passing of Phil Hughes. So he, he, he came out and he, he did a 60 Minutes, I think it was, interview that was a whole hour. And, you know, he professed that this was going to change the way he looked at life. He professed this was the way it was going to change the way he played cricket. It was the way that cricket was played in general. You know, it's, uh, you know, life is so much bigger than the game. All of this stuff. In tears. Um, could have won an Oscar, to be honest, on, on this thing. And the very next series is against the Poms, and he's getting stuck in and saying all sorts of stuff to people. And, you know, uh, he's he's uh, he didn't say that we're going to break your effing arm. I think that was Michael Clark, but he was part of that group that was in there giving it to the Poms. And I just went, mate, I've actually got absolutely no respect for you. You've cashed in on your mate's passing. That's what it looked like to me. And after that, I just uh, didn't, I did not rate him at all. Well, Sandpaper Gate was ugly, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but what I can't understand is Australia's stance on this because they refuse to let him uh, captain even a BBL side. Mm. He's not allowed to be in charge of any side. They're quite happy uh, for, to take his runs opening the batting, quite happy for him to take catches, etc. Quite happy for him uh, to play and uh, influence uh, the nature of the game and their performances. But they don't want to have him as a captain. Um, so uh, I've always found that quite interesting. Um, it's not they've they've got their cake, but they 
don't want to eat it too sort of thing for me. It's it's an odd stance for me, but however, well, I'm, um, I would suggest that yeah. maybe see something from what they're hearing out of the dressing room because, I, and I know the term gets used a lot, but culture in the dressing room, and he strikes me as the sort of bloke who'd be a bully. And I think around Sandpapergate, he was accused of that by some of the younger members of the squad as well. So, do you really want that guy setting the culture in your dressing room if that's how he's perceived to be by some of the younger players coming through? Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure how, how he's perceived in the dressing room. To be perfectly honest, um, you know. Uh, it's an interesting Australian dressing room. There's a lot of powerful figures in there, of course. So they've got the ashes coming up, and if he has a miserable ashes, and he's got to adjust his form and his technique, I think, because uh, last time over there, Stuart Broad gave him absolute pasting uh, in a one-on-one -on -one contest. So and and less early in that series, uh, they'll they'll pick him to go. There's no doubt about that. They have to really do that. But he'd be one of the highest-profile players uh, in terms of payment too, just by the by, in mm. Australian cricket. Still on a seriously big whack. He's made a lot of money out of cricket. Huge amount of money out of cricket. Um, but I would be thinking if he doesn't fire in the first couple of tests against England, that might be the end for David Warner. And we will see him in the commentary box in Australia uh, come next year. And he won't get that uh, final uh, round the houses return that he wants. Uh, it's uh, 11.30, Ricardo. I, I want to come back to the sports desk in the next half hour as well because you've come up with a fascinating story about tobacco sponsorship on shirts and football. So... Uh, and you know, uh, are we closing in? I mean, what's left? What's left for in terms of sponsorship around the world? So we'll come with that. But in the meantime, uh, we want you to ring up and uh, we'll take you on at Stump Smithy. 0800-150-811 is the number. 0800-150-811 is the number. Uh, Brian, waiting for your calls right here and now. Ricardo will be the quiz master. In the meantime, while we get set up for that, we shall have uh, Aroha here with uh, the 11:30 update. You're on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith, 28 away from uh, midday. And Smithy, George is on the line for Stumped with Smithy. How you doing, George? There. Actually, uh, it's too hot. I think we'll probably be thunder showers probably soon. Uh, mate, where, whereabouts are you exactly? I'm in Point Chevalier, well, quite near the beach. Oh, mate. It's all right. We've okay. got, we got, we got a jackpot today, too, Smithy. It's $100 TAB because you got a stumping yesterday. Yeah, 100 bucks uh, to go. So, George, that, that'll go nicely into the coffers uh, today. Um, what is your, what, what's the rest of the, the day uh, pan out for you in terms of um, celebrating oh, wow. if you win 100 I don't know. I'm just retired, so, you know, I've got, got a lawn, a bit of weeds, and I've just taken out my tomato plant for the year. It's finished. You know, not oh. that kind of weed. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, the two blokes—the two blokes you're actually talking to, not me, uh, Ricardo and Brian. Uh, if, if they pulled out the weed, uh, give them a call. Uh, just moving on. <laughs> hey, I'm a respectable retired customs officer, I'll have you know. <laughs> that makes it even better, George. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. Right, uh, what, are the, what are the subjects today for George? Yeah, all right, George, here's your options, mate. You can go basketball, golf or football. Oh, football, please. Association football. Oh, right. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Who's your team, George? Who do you support? You sound like you're a big fan. I'm a Red Devil, mate. Oh, you're a good man. I like you already. I saw them play at Carlow Park in 67. Uh, they beat Auckland 8-1. Wow. wow, is that the team with Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law and George yeah, Best? Yeah, Bobby Charlton, yeah. yeah. George Best, mate, I remember. 
I couldn't get the ball off him. He just dribbled around. <laughs> That's one thing I remember. I just couldn't get the ball off him, eh? you know. Outstanding, mate. Great memory. All right, here you go. First question. How many games have the Football Ferns won with coach Yitka Klimkova in charge? Uh, none. One of the worst things I have ever oh, seen no. done on a cricket field. Not quite none. Smithy, uh, have you got a take on this? Well, I hate to rip uh, George's ration card here so early <laughs> on in the piece. Um, I, I'm thinking they won one. One of the worst things I uh, have none. ever seen done on a cricket field. They have won three sure. from 23. Wow. There you go, three from 23. So you're still alive, George, you're still alive. Here's question two for you. Uh, They've beaten Mexico, they've beaten the Philippines, and I think they beat the Koreans as well. I still don't know how high, how, how, how they've got such a high ranking, you know. It's oh, amazing. Yeah, you're not wrong, especially after they lost to Nigeria, who are ranked, I think... 15 well, places African below teams, them. You know, they're pretty good. You know, African women, you know, they're pretty good. Yeah, well, they're ranked 42nd. I think we're ranked 25th. So there you go. But anyway, yeah, well. here's your second question, George. How many Italian teams are in the Champions League quarterfinals this season? Oh, quarterfinals? Oh, Two. One of the worst things I have oh, ever no. seen done on a cricket field. Not okay. quite, not quite, George. Smithy? Well, it's two played this morning, mm-hmm. um, so uh, they played against each other, and I think there's uh, at least another one or two. Um, Inter Milan, Inter Milan, AC Milan, Inter Milan. Are Juventus in there? Are Juventus in there? Oh, I'll go and I'll go three in total. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, oh, yeah. under where it goes. Yeah, I forgot about yesterday, yeah. Unlucky, Georgia. AC Milan, Inter Milan, Napoli. The three teams uh, that Italy have in the uh, the, Serie, yeah. the Serie A teams in the Champions League quarterfinals. Yeah. Unlucky, mate. Enjoy point, Chev. Hopefully that weather's not too bad. Hey, man, you tomorrow morning, mate, in the Europa League. You know, don't forget that. Don't no, won't forget that, mate. No Rashford, though. How do you reckon we'll go? Oh, I might just scrape through. Uh, but I think that team's actually had... In the past, and they won the Europa League Cup, I think, a couple of times, I believe, actually. Yeah, they've won it, I think, four times in the last ten years. But yeah. uh, there you go. They go They go all right, mate. It's not going to be easy, but go well, George. We're going to buy Harry Kane to, you know, shore up our goal scoring, you know. Don't tell Smithy that. Right. Smithy will not be happy. He's a Spurs man. Hey, <laughs> uh, cheers, guys. Thanks well, for that. Cheers, George. All the best, mate. Stay on the, stay on the line, George, and uh, Brian will get details about the weed. Uh, right, let's move on. <laughs> Carry. <laughs> oh, carry, carry, carry. All right. Um, one question left for you, my friend. For $100 a TFB bonus bets could be yours <laughs> if you could answer this question. Which team do the Wellington Phoenix play in Auckland this weekend? Oh. Come on, Kerry. Come on, Kerry. Come on, man. You need this money, Kerry. Come on. No, I do. Um, Melbourne Victory. Come on, Kerry. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, they played Melbourne Victory two weeks ago. Smithy, are you going to get a second stumping and jackpot us to 150 tomorrow? 
Well, I am if the Brisbane Roar is the right answer. If the Brisbane Roar is the right answer. Wicket, right in the slot, underway it goes. Unlucky, Kerry. He's on fire. That's, uh, what, three stumpings in, in two days. So, uh, unlucky, mate. Try again tomorrow. Cheers, Mike. Cheers. There you go, Kerry from Cheers, the Matawatu. Um, wow. 100, yeah. 150. 150. Yeah, 150, actually. So, uh, look forward to that for a Friday going into the weekend or putting on a race from Grins. Uh, plenty of uh, options tomorrow. That's providing, of course, you can get um, over the top of uh, a bloke that's in great form. At the moment, it's coming up to 11.40. 11.40. Uh, and I want to get back to, uh, because I got it wrong, it's not tobacco advertising, it's betting. It's betting advertising the EPL are looking to ban on the front of their shirts, or some people are anyway. Uh, we'll be back with that story from the sports desk uh, with Ricardo very, very shortly. This needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.44 here on SENZ. A uh, couple of uh, texts have come in. Uh, if Guppy played for Canterbury, he would make it in. Um, there is that school of thought around it. It's muckraking really, isn't it, to be perfectly honest. But uh, you just kind of get the feeling. Uh, a lot of people going down to Christchurch, actually. Uh, Daryl Mitchell's down there now. East Sodi's down there now. So um, it's the place to be. And, of course, there's a good uh, South African content of players, too, with uh, Chad Bowes to the fore. Chad Bowes going to be the next guy to dig us out uh, from South Africa on the back of uh, Devon Conway. Uh, Smithy, I enjoyed the interview with Guppy. I agree. Surely he deserves a shot in the World Cup with Kane out and his experience. Deserves 200 games, surely, for his service and a swan song. Romantically, you're absolutely right, Jared. He does deserve uh, 200 games, but uh, romance doesn't come into it, I'm afraid, um, in that respect. When it comes to uh, World Cups and preparing for World Cups, it doesn't look, uh, as I've said, it doesn't look for me as if uh, Guppy's going to get to play 200 games for New Zealand, uh, barring uh, extra uh, emergencies. And uh, certainly when Kane Williamson is not there, it's an emergency. Uh, right, uh, Ricardo, there's a, a text coming also from Zade to say, is the Brisbane Roar the Phoenix, a willing Phoenix final match? No, it's not. Uh, there's other games, isn't there? But it's likely to, perhaps to be the last match on New Zealand soil this year. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think so. They've lost three on the bounce now. So, I mean, you know, three weeks ago, mate, we were talking about a home semi-final. Now we're, you know, the way things are placed, uh, a semi-final spot is in doubt. So they need to get a win this weekend against Brisbane because the next two games are away in Sydney. They play Western Sydney Wanderers and MacArthur the next two weekends away. Right, OK. So uh, that's the answer to that one, Zade. Still three more round-robin games to go, or... Um, games in, in terms of uh, that part of the competition and then fingers crossed that's where we get to at this point now Ricardo uh, I want to go back to that story that you had about um, the EPL and advertising on shirts yeah so this is uh, to do with the government in the UK are looking at legislation that would prevent gambling advertising completely um, and so the Premier League shareholders have had a meeting and they're expected to vote uh, to ban sponsorship of betting firms on the front of their shirts by, uh, and by doing that they hope that they'll still be allowed to keep them as sleeve sponsors and uh, sponsors within the ground. So that is why they're making the move. Uh, it, there are eight clubs at the moment out of the 20 who have gambling companies on the front of their shirts and uh, if that ban goes ahead it will cost them initially at least anyway 52 million pounds a season 
£52 million pounds a season collectively, that is? That's collectively, yeah. So uh, Bournemouth have a £3.5 million pound deal, Brentford £4 million pound deal, Everton a £10 million pound deal, Fulham £3.5 million pound deal, uh, Leeds United six and a half. same with Newcastle, Southampton an £8 million pound deal and West Ham a £10 million pound deal. Those are the clubs affected. So what is your feeling on that, Ricardo? Well, it feels like the Premier League are actually being quite smart about this. Um, they, you know, if the, if the government are talking about outright banning game, gambling, they're saying, hey, well, look, what we'll do is we'll take it off the front of the shirts uh, and we'll do that voluntarily so long as we can still keep some revenue coming in by having them as sleeve sponsors or ground sponsors. But it, it's interesting that Christian Perslow, who's the CEO of Aston Villa, has basically said, look, the, th- the reality is that gambling firms will pay up to twice as much as any other firm for shirt front sponsorship because there's that much money in it. Well, right. I, look, I don't get that to be perfectly honest. I mean, if you're going to have if you're going to have betting shops, if you, you know, and there are there's so many betting shops in England. I mean, I just don't. I, I, and over here, for instance, mm. um, that I'm not sure if they have the same sort of regulation or and that kind of setup over there, or whether they're able to with their betting shop set up there with private companies as such. But over here, um, if you have a sport which is bet on, uh, I'm pretty sure it's still the case. The TAB give money back to that's that right. sport. Yeah. Is that not true? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah. that's sort of biting the hand that, f- that feeds you for me. Yeah, in I think. England. Yeah, I think here it's probably a bit different because the TAB have effectively have a monopoly, right? There's no other betting companies are allowed in New Zealand, and part of the deal with the government was this is what happens: you give X amount back to grassroots sport for those sports that are bet on. But it's not like that in the UK. It's open slather, and a lot of these betting companies aren't even based in the UK. A lot of them are based uh, in Monaco and in China. Um, so that money is is not staying in the UK, if you like. It's going offshore. Okay, well, we've got a lot going on in the betting industry here in New Zealand as well, of course, so we'll just keep an eye on that particular thing. Brendan McCullum in the news for that as a bit of a front man for it. Also, of course, Racing Minister Kieran McAnulty at the moment looking to sign off on a new deal which would involve ramifications around the betting industry and the TAB in this country as well. I've got something off the sports desk. Well, it's not really off the sports desk, but speaking in an Irish pub, mm. United States President Joe Biden appeared to confuse the All Blacks with the Black and Tans. <laughs> uh, the Black and Tans, a group of British reserve troops who gained notoriety for their brutality during the Irish War of Independence in 1920. That the Black and Tans, right? Biden is touring Ireland and was giving a speech in Dundalk on Wednesday when he paid tribute to a distant relative, former Ireland fullback Rob Carney. He said the president ranked, uh, thanked Carney for presenting him with a tie and referred to Ireland's famous win over the All Blacks in Chicago in 2016. This, he said, was given to me by one of these guys right here. Was a hell of a rugby player. He beat the hell out of the black and tans. That's Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that go so down well in go. Ireland. Oh, the black and tans were immortalised in a popular rebel song come out. You black and tans and their actions throughout the Irish War of Independence further swayed the public opinion in Ireland against British rule. They were notorious for attacks on civilians, extrajudicial killings, arson and looting. So, 
Perhaps not the great comparison there, Joe. Perhaps not. Maybe not quite. Not quite. That, that's up there with, uh, and, and this is more in my musical realm, Smithy, uh, but I don't know if you've heard of a, a heavy metal band called Megadeth. No, I haven't. No, they, they, the lead singer, guitarist, was one time original member of Metallica, and they were playing in Belfast, and they did a. They used to do a cover of Anarchy in the UK, and he obviously wasn't aware of the political situation in Belfast versus Dublin, and said, uh, dedicated, this one's for the cause, uh, which is obviously refers to the IRA on stage in Northern Ireland, and uh, barely got out of the venue alive by the sounds of things. Oh wow! Okay, I, I, for a second there, I think he, he was talking about this one's for the cause, as opposed to C O O R S. No, I don't think they were around at the time. No, this was late eighties. So <laughs> there you go. It's, isn't it just so uh, so easy to confuse things these days? Uh, a man who doesn't confuse any issues, of course, is Mark Watson. Uh, he's on uh, with his show coming up uh, from twelve o'clock onwards. Uh, and he's had some very, very um, exact opinions on a few things uh, over the last few days, and I'm really interested to hear what uh, he's coming up with uh, today. So that's what we'll do next.